We are back for another episode of the Remo Show. Today, it's tax season for the self-employed borrower. We're going to dive into all uh, the things you need to think about and and be doing from a pr- perspective of preparing for your taxes. If you have financing coming up in 2024, this is certainly an episode you want to listen to if you're self-employed because we're going to dive into everything you need to know and do as a preparation tool uh, going forward into this year. So why don't we start right there? Uh, Tyler, take it away. Sure. I guess the first thing we'll touch on is just you know why we're hitting on self-employed borrowers. Obviously, tax season's coming up, and it's just a different qualifying process in general between someone who's self-employed, someone who's employed uh, on a salary or hourly rate. How I always describe it to clients, you know, if you're employed, you work for somebody, you have a salary, you get a T4. When the banks are looking at your application, they look at your income as all forward-looking, right? If you provide a letter of employment that states you make 90 grand a year, the bank assumes that 90 grand a year is continuous, that's the income they're going to use to qualify you. If you're coming to us and you're self-employed, maybe you run a small contracting business, maybe you're a landscaping company, whatever, if you're self-employed, the bank is going to look at everything in their rear view. What did you qualify? What did you report on your tax returns uh, for the last two years? And that's the income they work off of, right? So, as I say, everything's in a rear view mirror. And by the way, this is all how your your like what we call your AAA bank looks at when they're qualifying uh, you for a mortgage, right? So, any bank that you have a deposit account with, this is generally how most of them, if not all of them, qualify their mortgages, right? Tax returns and what did you report for the last two years? And one thing I can tell you after doing this for as many years as we have, if you are someone who's self-employed and listening, anytime we have the conversation with a self-employed borrower and we talk about earnings, generally they're always referring to their gross. Oh yeah, no, we 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 did 200k last year. Oh yeah, we did 150k last year. Oh yeah, we did 500k last year. The gross is good to know, but the banks actually don't care about that, right? What they're mostly focused on is that net number. So if you're somebody who likes to write everything off, uh, there's benefits to that. We're certainly going to touch on that in this episode. The important number to know is um, the net amount your business is showing. If you're sole proprietor, you'll see it on your tax returns. If you're incorporated, uh, really what they're looking at is what you T4 pay yourself. So there are certain limitations. Um with qualifying based on net income. I don't know, Derek, if you want to take that away or add anything about qualifying differences. Incorporating always, it certainly has its benefits and there's a, there's a point where it makes sense. There's a point where it doesn't, just from a tax perspective. Typically when you incorporate, it's because you're you're not spending all the money that you earn. This gives you the ability to leave your some money in your corporation and you're just paying corporate tax, not personal. So it's just tax deferral. Like you're just leaving that money in the company until at some point in your life, you're probably gonna need it and you'll pay tax on it at that point. But that's the benefit of incorporating from a tax perspective. Now, where that becomes challenging, like Tyler mentioned, is if you actually, if your business nets, say 200,000, but maybe you only need 60,000 to live personally. So you just pay yourself via dividend or T4 $60,000. In most cases, we'll touch on some unique programs, but in most cases, the banks are actually only looking at the $60,000 that shows up on your personal tax return. So that's where, like, again, just the purpose of this podcast is, is having a discussion prior. And like, you might be sitting there thinking, I had a great year, I made 200,000, but that's not the way that most banks are going to look at it. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a big, uh, it's a big aha moment for for self-employed borrowers that maybe haven't f- gone through financing in you know like say the last two, three, four, five years, what have you. Uh, it is a big like shocker to 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 see that right and see how little they qualify for. So, you know, why don't we just discuss you know maybe 
I mean, I'd say the biggest question of all is, should I claim more taxes then this year to ultimately qualify? Because let's say, hey, I'll assume I'm a client that's trying to upsize and buy a bigger home and or maybe refinance and take out some debt to to do a renovation or add an addition to my home or build a shop or whatever the case is. I want to borrow more. Should I claim more money? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess in short, like everyone's situation is a little bit different. But, you know, to Dean's point, like if you have a specific mortgage amount that you're trying to achieve, and we can work those numbers backwards. All we'll always present to a borrower is that you have to go talk to your accountant and understand what the, the tax costs are going to come with that number. And if it all makes sense and, and you can justify it, great. But before going that route, you know, there are some very specified programs. Uh, net income after tax is a, a reference of when a bank will look at your personal income, like I had just mentioned, the dividend or T4 that, that's on your personal tax return. But if you have two years of, of strong financial statements that actually have net income, meaning like in your corporation, you have revenue and you have expenses. If there's net income in the business, some banks, if you qualify, if you have great credit, if everything looks really strong, they'll actually use a portion of that net income, typically a two-year average, and they'll add that back to your personal application just because, I mean, the income's still there, right? It's just not registered as personal income. So that's a way for them to, to look at strong borrowers that have strong businesses and try to justify adding some of that back in. You know, there's, um, there's stated income programs, there's high net worth programs. So, you know, it's really a cost comparison is what it comes down to. You know, you could you could look at the number that you were given by, you know, a broker and go to your accountant and it's going to cost you an extra $80,000 in tax or something ridiculous. Well, if that's the case, you also need to start looking at alternative lending. Alternative lending, it's still offered through a lot of banks. They're just self-employed programs where they're not... They're not going as in-depth on income. They're bending rules on ratios. They're doing stated income. They're literally just qualifying you based on your bank statements and cash flow that you can prove uh, in a stated income declaration, which, you know, the, the financing certainly more expensive. You're probably going to be anywhere from half a percent to 1% higher on rate. And there's usually going to be a one to one and a half percent fee. But again, just knowing the numbers, is that going to be more cost effective than, than biting the bullet and paying that massive tax bill just to get a lower rate. That's really one of the benefits of keeping your your personal income reported low. Like, why would you do that? Like, if you are, and we're all self-employed that sit here, right? Like, it, you want to keep your self-employed, your personal income reported low, so you're going to pay less tax. Duh. Like, that's, that's the whole idea, right? Keep more in your company. So, you know, if you can't qualify for one of these kind of auxiliary self-employed programs through the bank, like the net income after tax, the stated income programs, uh, there are alternative options. And that would be the alternative lending market, sometimes referred to as the B, the B market. And so we whipped up just like a very quick example of, you know, somebody who wanted to borrow, say, $400,000. Like these days, to borrow between four dollars and $500,000, you really need to show almost $100,000 worth of income to qualify for that mortgage. If you're a self-employed borrower and you have the ability to choose how much you declare personally, to report hundred grand in income, you're going to give up about $30,000 to the tax man, right? So uh, if you're only reporting, say, forty grand a year, uh, because that's all you need to live, you know, that $40,000 is really only going to cost you around $8,000 in taxes. So between reporting a hundred grand and 40 grand, the difference is around $22,000. That's a big number, right? So if we look at, you know, a mortgage from a major bank and an alternative bank, let's say on average, they cost about a half a percent higher at the B bank, you know, for a $400,000 mortgage, that difference in a monthly payment is really only $120 a month, right? Over five years, 
that's $7,200 over that five-year term. So on balance, that seems like a lot. Like, oh my God, I'm going to pay $7,200 more over the five-year term uh, than I would have if I claimed hundred grand. Well, if you kind of look at the math, it's like, okay, well, I was going to pay $30,000 more in tax just to save $7,200 in payments, and suddenly it starts to make a lot more sense. Uh, and we have borrowers that use this strategy all the time, right? There are, you know, some limitations with going with B lenders. You know, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But if you are the borrower type who keeps their income quite low, you've been turned down by your bank because they say you don't report enough income. Like there, there are solutions out there. And really, once you start crunching the numbers, it starts to make a lot of sense to maybe go this alternative route versus, you know, paying out your your pound of flesh to the tax man. Yeah, I mean, I think another big piece that falls into that whole formula is just timing too right like if if someone's come you know to us at the end of the year and they urgently need to refinance or do something or they want to buy a property but maybe their income wasn't structured properly the last two years uh, does it make sense for them to wait maybe three four months until their taxes are filed and their noa comes in and they can pay taxes just to be able to go buy that house or do the refinance or whatever it was that they wanted to do right so if timing isn't on your side reverting back to that alternative or b lending like that's something that they're not looking at tax returns they're not looking at financial statements for the most part uh and that's something that you can typically action pretty quick i mean great points i mean that's a great example uh, so well laid out and just i just want to touch on some of the additional you know, benefits, of course, like you mentioned, you know, if you keep your, your income low, uh, you're going to be paying less tax, of course, right? So that's obviously one. Um, just thinking about things to consider. So if, if you are going to take that route of, you know, reporting lower income, that means you're basically keeping money in the corp. So uh, thinking about investing within the corporation, whether that's buying property within the corporation or um, buying, um, let's say, mutual funds or any other investments, stocks, bonds, um, mortgage investment corporations, investing in mix, those sorts of things, looking at insurance products. Uh, there's some fantastic insurance strategies out there to to really leverage uh, those funds and, and maximize what you're keeping in the corp and, and just all some really, really good stuff to consider in the event that you're keeping those funds in the corp and not looking at this as like, well, that sucks. All my money's in the corp. What am I going to do now? Like, well, no, there is actually a lot of, lot of other items to jump into. And, and those are things that maybe we'll jump into in other episodes and bring on some guest speakers to touch on those. But uh, reach out to us if, if this is something that's peaking of your, uh, peaking your interest. Uh, there's, there's a lot of good stuff here. So one thing I do want to touch on is just discussing the negatives of reporting low income. Cause there certainly is like, we just can't sugarcoat this and, and, you know, paint this with a, you know, a positive brush across the board. There are some negatives to consider. Now I'll start off, you, you know, in this case, you are essentially forced to go forward with a B lender, um, an alternative lender, otherwise known as an alternative lender. Um, some great lenders out there that that play in this space, but you are forced to, to go forward with that lender. We're typically looking at a maximum term of three years. Some, a lot of these lenders don't have variable rate mortgages. So, you know, looking at the market where rates are going, so on and so forth. Um, it's just a, it's a very different type of lending product. There's fees involved. Uh, maybe you can just touch on that, uh, Tyler, just, you know, kind of looking at some of the negatives here. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, I think even Derek mentioned it, like these alternative lenders, they're willing to take on this quote unquote risky borrower that's uh, only reporting 
say same example 40k when you need 100 to get the mortgage and for that they want to get paid right and they fill a very valuable space between the banks and just straight up private lending um so yeah they're, they're definitely a negative you got to pay that lender fee um i always rationalized it like look if this lender fee is going to cost you six grand to take this mortgage Think of the purchase price you're writing. If it's $500,000, would you still buy this home for $506,000, right? So that might be one way to rationalize it. Um, the other other kind of negative piece with these type of lenders, though, is there, like, there are some restrictive policies between certain lenders. Some won't actually let you refinance out to another lender until the term is up. Um, so really working with someone who knows these lending products in and out. And by the way, the three of us built our business on working on these type of products. So we, we certainly can help you navigate that uh, because if you're placed with the wrong lender and, and you know, going the B lender route, it doesn't have to be a forever thing. Quite often, you know, as Dee mentioned, they're upwards of three years. So there's usually a plan in place um, where you take this product for maybe one or two years and then maybe over those two years, you, you incrementally file more taxes uh, to eventually, you know, hopefully refinance back to the banking side. So um, obviously, you know, there's pros and cons to consider um, but I think the big one is just making sure you know the lender policies of who you're going with because renewals can be unkind to you in that, in that space. Uh, and you might actually be stuck with that lender until, uh, until you're up for maturity. Yeah, great point. Some people might just opt to keep their income as low as possible for the rest of their life and continue to renew, renew, renew. And if you got to refinance, you just know the fees are going to be there and it's going to be more expensive financing. But, you know, at least the options there, I, I, I think we're definitely fortunate in Canada to have these lenders and have these programs because if we didn't, it would be so restrictive. It's unbelievable. And a lot of times, I know I probably sound like a broken record now, but a lot of times these costs are very well justified to to reach someone's goal that they might be challenged with at a at a standard bank yeah i mean not too much to add there i mean you, you, we hit it all uh i think the first thing that would come into my head as a borrower is just timing of tax returns and you know let's maybe consider somebody that has the thought of hey you know what if i had a really good year in 2023 but i haven't filed my taxes yet you know we're now into 2024 i mean what do you do? Like, what do you, what, what would be the feedback there? And I, mean, I could start off is just consider filling or sorry, consider filing your taxes ASAP, like the soon as possible, engaging with your accountant early. Um, even just, you know, yes, you know, you, you might not have your NOA back and it's not, you know, you haven't paid your taxes, but just the, the, the practice to actually have, have them filed and have your internal financial statements uh, from your accountant, that can be enough in a lot of cases to to actually recognize that 2023 income. So um, maybe you can touch on Tyler, just what if it's not possible? Like, I mean, accountants go, they kind of come in and out of, hey, I'm available, I'm not available based on, you know, crazy tax seasons. A lot of them are on vacations right now as an example. What else, what if that's just not possible? If you're looking to purchase right away and you had a strong 2023, uh, you can look at accessing the alternative lending market for a short term. Maybe you take an open term, maybe you take a one-year uh, one product uh, and there are products available you know, even if I walk it back, like at this point in, you know, the, the year, if you're self-employed, we're working off your 2021 and 2022 tax returns, right? So, so like almost three years old in some cases, right? And that's what the banks have to, to work off of because that's just standard practice, right? So if you had a really strong 2023, but you're, you know, it's not like we can just go and file taxes tomorrow, right? Like depending on your business, there's payroll, there's, you know, there's all your deductions, there's all your banks, like it, it's a, it's a lengthy process, you know, 
all of us know that in this room. So sometimes it doesn't happen as quick as you like, but if you're someone who wants to jump in the market right away, maybe you found an opportunity that you really like, um, you know, then you would simply uh, try and go through the alternative lending market. And what they're going to look at is show us your bank statements, show us your cash flow for the last 12 months. So they're going to be able to capture your, your true earnings, even though they're not written down on 30 pieces of paper that CRAs looked at, uh, they can see that you've earned this money. And that's really what they're lending off of, right? They're comfortable with your business success. They don't really care necessarily what you're reporting personally. They can justify lending you that money because they know you're, you're good for it. Yeah, I guess just back to planning ahead, right? Like you got to, these are hard things to, to come to terms with, but if for some reason you think you're going to know, you want to buy a property in the next 12, 24 months, you got to start thinking about that on your tax returns now, right? And, and something that we've seen so much over the years with people that start new businesses, that first year, first two years are typically pretty challenging. You got a lot of costs, obviously tax time comes around. You don't want to be hit with another bill. So you just write your income down as much as you can. And then of course that's going to impact you for the next one, two, three years, right? Just based on how lenders are looking at, uh, financial statements. So great points. Uh, I, th the other one I want to touch on is let's say you are eager to buy this year. You've had an excellent 2021, 2022, not the greatest 2023, or at least not as good as 2021, 2022. In this case, it it may not be, well, it definitely isn't worth rushing to file those 2023 taxes. We can actually work off of the, the two-year average from 21, 22, um, pretty much right up until the spring market, so to speak. Uh, usually, lenders are going to start asking for that uh, 23 income, usually around that April, May point of the following year. And so, in that case, it may be best to get an approval in place right away and ultimately buy sooner than later if we have to use that income. But again, back to planning, looking at what does it look like with 20, what does your qualification look like with 23, 22? What does your qualification look like with 21, 22? And if it's a significant difference, then it might just make sense to expedite the purchase. Anything to add there? No, that makes, that makes, that's a little bit of a kind of broker ninja hack there. Um, you know, capture the, you know, capture your strong earning years while you can, right? Because, you know, once you file, maybe then we we're forced to go alternative lending. Awesome. All right. Well, just to can kind of conclude here, I mean, we touched on quite a bit. Uh, we've, we talked about this in our, in our first episode of the, of the season, just around having a segment where we're just going to answer a question from a, from a listener. And uh, I was kind of the, emphasis of doing this episode was just should you or should you incorporate your your business and and let this is obviously coming from somebody that's a sole proprietor and so the question is should i incorporate uh my business well i'll take a stab at it i mean the three of us are sitting here we're, we're all incorporated right so for me it's always like are you earning enough um are you earning enough like more than you need to live, right? So at the end of the year, if you've got 10, 15, 20, 30K that you didn't even need to touch, that's then sitting in your business and your sole proprietor, you're gonna pay you know, 20, 30, 40, uh, upwards of 50% tax on that. That's gonna go to the tax man right away, right? So um, if that is your situation, yeah, you should incorporate right away. Keep that extra 20, 30, 40, 50K, whatever you earned in your corporation, let it sit there. Um, and then you're only paying tax, you know, the, the personal tax rate on what you need to live and, and kind of fund your life. Right. Um, we all have different plans and strategies that we use with our 
business income, maybe I can leave that uh, to you, Derek. But my, my answer is, is yeah, if, if you are earning more than you need to leave and you live and you have excess funds in your business, you need, you should incorporate. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. I mean, we're, we're far from accountants or lawyers. So always talk to your accountant and a lawyer before you make any of these decisions. But what Tyler said is bang on. If, if you can leave some money in the corp, like corporate tax, as of right now, as far as I know, it hasn't changed. It's 11%. So if you leave money in your corporation, you pay 11% on the first 500,000. Whereas personal, depending on your personal tax bracket, like that could be 30, 40, 50%, right? So that alone, like it starts to make sense. And again, this isn't a tax savings. It's just a tax deferral. Like you're just leaving tax in your company until you need that money. Cause eventually when you take that money out, you're going to pay that personal tax rate. So it's just a deferral strategy for the money that you don't need. There's other benefits too, like liability. There's, there's definitely like you, you have more liability control with a corporation. You know, if there was some sort of a lawsuit, uh, and your company's involved instead of yourself personally, they're typically going to go after your company and your company's assets and maybe not your personal world and your personal house and everything else, depending on what's structured. Outside of that, I mean, one other thing that's been very beneficial, like that money that's sitting in a company, if you have savings there, maybe you want to buy a rental property. Well, if, if your company, and this gets a little bit convoluted, but if you're you know, your company is actually owned by your holding company, you can buy property in your holding company and you're not going to trigger personal tax on that down payment because the money's just flowing from one company to another, which is then going to own the real estate. Whereas, you know, in a different world, like all that money's hitting your, your personal account, you're paying personal tax and it's just, everything's after tax dollars if you don't have that. Right. So yeah, my, my, my consensus is yes. If all of that makes sense for your situation. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have too much more to add to that other than, you know, you, you make a good point, Tyler. Like if you, if you have more money coming in than you need to live off of, of course, I couldn't agree more. You should absolutely be incorporating. But on the flip side, if you if you are just spending pretty much every dollar that you are receiving less the tax that you got to hold back, it, it may still make sense to incorporate based on what your future plans are, what your growth plans are, what you know, what you're expecting down the road, and what you're expecting to do from a financing perspective as well. Because you know, looking at the two year average of you know, being incorporated is obviously a big piece. Um, how you're drawing that money out of the the corporation, whether you're paying yourself a, uh, as a, as a, on a payroll or pulling dividends out, there's going to be a two year history look back on, on that process as well. So, if the goal is growth, which for most people it is, but for some people it's not, you know, and they're just happy doing what they're doing and they know they're they're going to do that, then different situation. But if the if the goal is to grow your income and ultimately get to a point where you would be investing money in the corp. And you want to buy incorporating sooner than later still may be uh, the best option. So, yeah, I mean, that was a great episode. Uh, don't really have too much more to add to that. Um, for those of you that are enjoying the show that maybe haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. It means a lot to us to to have you subscribe. You're going to get notified of all of our new episodes. If you like the, uh, like the show, please like the hit the like button it, that means the world to us and these questions keep the questions coming keep the feedback coming it's what uh, fuels us to keep doing these and uh yeah we appreciate you listening and hope you have a great day